Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. If you like today's episode, visit me on my podcast channel, my articles on medium.com, or on my video vlog on YouTube. You can find me at narctroopers.com or just search for Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. Today's episode is called Disposable. When you're discarded by a narcissist, you have to be determined to recover. And at the same time, you have to battle uh, a lot of times trauma, in my case, CPTSD, complex PTSD, and it's no easy task. So here's how it usually goes. You support their career, their ambitions. Maybe you raise their children. You do everything for them to make their life pleasant and beautiful and wonderful. You build a life together. You have plans. You take vacations. You you uh, share share everything. You share a life. You forgive them for their countless transgressions, one after another. You look the other way. And you look forward to a future with these people. Maybe even golden years together when life gets easier and you have uh, reached some kind of security or something. And so that's what you're counting on. That's what you're hoping for. That's what you're working towards. And then one day, one day before you can say, hocus pocus, American psycho, they're gone. Just like that. Narcissistic personality disorder is contagion. It's an epidemic that rivals COVID. What constitutes narcissistic abuse and how pervasive is it? Well, I think it's a form of emotional and psychological abuse inflicted by individuals who have either narcissistic personality disorder or maybe antisocial personality disorder which includes sociopaths and psychopaths as well. Um, In either case, they're both lacking empathy. And approximately one out of every 10 people is pretending to be normal, but suffers from some disordered mental condition. There's approximately 340 million people in the United States. And about 6% of these have narcissistic personality disorder diagnoses, which equals about, well, it's a crap ton of people. What about worldwide numbers? They say about 3.3% of 8 billion people on this planet. Yeah, we have 8 billion people on the planet. Well, that's like 264,500,000 and some odd people who have some kind of antisocial personality disorders. And 6% of these 8 billion citizens, which would total 
480 million and thereabouts people have narcissistic personality disorder disorder happening to them so so let me just say this these are the documented diagnosed cases and since these people don't think there's anything wrong with them and a lot of times their partner doesn't even know what's wrong with them then they don't go and they don't get diagnosed so there's probably a lot more cases than that a lot more maybe double or triple that number so these grand totals well it's just crazy um you know that adds up to something like 750 billion people in that are diagnosed that we know of who lack empathy and have no conscience if each of those people who narcissistically abuses let's say just I don't know, five other people throughout their lifetime, the total damage would be just ridiculously high, um, beyond measure. So billions and billions of people. So that's not a small number. And um, I think the undiagnosed cases outweigh the documented ones um, quite a bit. If abuse and trauma-informed CPTSD were a physical malady like cancer or heart disease, the numbers affected would warrant a much stronger response. Mental health therapists are not trained in the different treatment options and interventions. Prescription medications remain sort of the knee-jerk response to relieve the symptoms of trauma they don't know what else to do. And the world at large is clueless about all of this. And they have this plethora of missing information or misinformation. I hate that. When a person is coming out of a relationship with one of these cluster B partners, the response should be a coordinated effort by a team of professionals who are educated and trained on the different healing modalities available, the cluster B being the narcissist, the sociopath, and the psychopath, they don't know what to do with that. There's clearly a high need for a real response to this. It has fallen upon people like life coaches and online healers of some kind to offer substantive assistance with recovery. And the quality and effectiveness remain inconsistent as best. Some of these guys are great and others, no, not so much. So the age group from the uh, demographics that I've gathered from podcast and YouTube viewing of this, this particular niche of, um, of the narcissistic recovery and all of that, the number of victims Primarily, um, the ones seeking help are anywhere from around early 30s to late 40s. Over 8% are, are women, 80%, sorry, are women, and the time spent with their cluster B disordered partner averages anywhere from about 4 to 20 plus years. 
it's not just a short thing for a couple of months or a couple of years. These are long relationships. This data indicates that many have been with their impaired mate through marriages and child rearing and were often discarded after they had fulfilled their purpose as cooks, housekeepers, babysitters, chauffeurs, gardeners, nurses, counselors, cheerleaders, lovers, and all of that. Many of these narcissistic, sociopathic, or psychopathic partners even had double lives for years filled with a side piece, secret mistresses, secondary and tertiary sources of fuel, a cadre of groupies, and other inappropriate support networks and co-conspirators of infidelity. You know, I'm shocked at how many women out there betray their fellow females by just being cheating hoes. <laughs> they don't even care. They'll lay down for you and, you know, no matter what. You can be married, whatever, they don't care. You know, that's kind of a thrill to steal some somebody's husband or, I mean, it's, Wow, blows my mind. I mean, what what's happening here? I don't get that kind of lack of morals, lack of conscience, lack of rules that we play by. And then to do that to another woman? Is there not some chick code that women are supposed to live by where you don't really just screw over somebody else, you know, and, and, and mess with their partner? You, you know, that's, that's I, I cry foul. That's just really low, sleazy, uh, filthy behavior. So, yeah, I guess whatever floats their boat, right? Um, wrong. It is not okay. Uh, it's really not okay. And a lot of times they do know and they don't care. Oh, well, I tell you what, with such massive egos and this enormous need for quality stroking of this huge ego, it's no wonder that they need a whole team of attentive, starry-eyed fans to flatter and fornicate with. So in my experience over the past 14 months, since I was discharged by my narcissist, um, you know, after all that, I've met many people in recovery who are all in various stages um, of healing and from trauma of this experience that they've gone through. And when the veil was lifted and they saw behind the mask, the shock and horror that followed were monumental. The humiliation and degradation were so crushing and impossible to dismiss. It's just unbelievable. The sudden loss of a life, a life that you have have um, that seemed so real and so stable, a life that you've spent years building together, right? You don't have any reason to think that it's not going to work out because you're side by side, head down, working hard, building this life together. Well, it's just impossible to accept or to understand or to process or to move beyond when when they suddenly one day just say, hey, I'm done. Uh, see ya. And that's what the narcissists do. They don't even give you any warning that that's coming. You know, it's just one day you wake up, they're gone. 
the fact that they're, that, you know, that if you have a disordered partner, that they just hit a button to completely erase you and your whole life together with them, it's just like complete annihilation. And only the people who have been discarded by someone who's lacking any empathy, compassion, mercy, or remorse could possibly understand what that feels like and what they're going to have to tackle because it's just, it's different. This is something different. It's trauma. The fact that their mentally impaired partner simply flipped a switch and erased years, if not decades, of memories and triumphs and hallmark moments only to effortlessly just walk away without a shred of guilt or accountability or regret, without a backward glance, with nothing, absolutely nothing, to give closure or a crumb of respect to the wife who stood by them, often giving up everything and everyone to keep them in their life year after year after year. And I, I say, female, you know, this, this, you know, I've talked to quite a few men who are married to women with narcissistic personality disorder who did the same thing to their husband. So I don't, I'm just speaking from my experience. So forgive me. I, it, this goes both ways for both genders could be, um, you know, going through this. So they just drop a nuclear bomb in your lap and treat it like, um, like it was just nothing. You're blown into a million bloody pieces for being stupid enough to think you were worthy of another minute of their time. That's the way they see it. The wreckage left behind is apocalyptic. Every healing trajectory is different, but I tell you something, it's not uncommon to see people struggling with what happened to them five, ten, oh gosh, even longer than that, years later. There's different healing modalities that people with PTSD can leverage, I think, to get some results and to reclaim some kind of life with peace and joy in it. One of the most recommended therapies for PTSD is cognitive behavioral therapy, known as CBT. It focuses on relationships and um, on the relationships between thoughts and it examines feelings and behaviors as well as current problems and symptoms in order to change unhealthy patterns of behavior. These toxic thoughts and feelings can lead to difficulties in functioning for the person who has been changed by trauma. Cognitive processing therapy, CBT, helps patients learn how to modify and challenge these unhelpful beliefs and unhealthy beliefs related to trauma. Not all people with PTSD or CPTSD have the same symptoms, nor do they respond to the same treatments. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And when choosing a recovery plan, it's important to, to um, sample different things to see what works best on an individual basis for you. The boundaries between traditional treatment and what is known as CAM, which stands for Complementary Alternative Medicine. Uh, this difference between traditional treatment and CAM continues to shift 
and sometimes they work together, sometimes they overlap, sometimes I think maybe they um, have some kind of conflict with one another, but there's um, several different categories for these alternative therapies. One would be using, this is number one, natural products like herbal dietary supplements and stuff like that. I use 5-HTP, to, it, it works with the neurotransmitters in your brain, which is what a lot of those prescription drugs do, is alter your neurotransmitters in your brain. So that's sort of the homeopathic way to do it. Just take the 5-HTP. I also do Kava, K-A-V-A, and other, you know, there's just a lot. You can look it up. Herbal remedies, natural products to deal with PTSD and trauma. Number two, this is the alternative, would be mind and body medicine, like meditation, acupuncture, yoga, uh, quanta healing, pranic healing, stuff like that. The third alternative treatment for PTSD would be manipulative and body-based practices like massage, spinal manipulation, sacral cranial massage, things like this. Number four, alternative medicine for PTSD um, would be things like energy, alchemy, light work, cord cutting, chakra cleansing, Reiki, things that deal with energy. Number five, whole medicine systems like um, Chinese medicine and, and things like that. So some of the most popular therapies also include now EMDR and ketamine. And I want to talk about those two. First of all, I know people who swear by EMDR. It's um, eye movement desensitization. I can't say that. And reprocessing. And it's uh, proving to help break patterns of anxiety. A person holds a thought of an anxiety-producing trigger or traumatic moment or memory or something while tracking the therapist's finger or object with their eyes as it moves back and forth. It remaps the brain in a way. And it's been remarkably effective for many people trying to overcome trauma. And let me tell you about another one. It's ketamine therapy. It's kind of controversial alternative, um, but there's increasing evidence from neuroimaging and pharmacological studies that support the importance of glutamate abnormalities in the pathology of anxiety and depression, and as well as other symptoms of PTSD. And so, um, so glutamate is is key. Um, and so, so ketamine is known for its disassociative and tranquilizing effect along with the occurrence of hallucinations. It's a fun little side bit, I guess, maybe. Research studies and numerous documented physician accounts of clinical use show that ketamine is an effective treatment for reducing symptoms of depression and anxiety. Uh, in numerous, multiple, different controlled clinical studies, ketamine has produced a rapid antidepressant effect. Patients well, let, well, let me tell you how it works. The patients receive an IV infusion 
with a medical professional present who guides the patient through the experience. This is like a doctor or a psychiatrist or something. Um, it's about $400 a treatment, and it's not covered by most insurance because it's not approved by the uh, FDA or whatever. But, um, and it takes like a typical program of five to six treatment sessions. So it's not very cost effective and it's just weird, you know, it's a street drug, it's a horse tranquilizer. It's something people do to, you know, they go out in the forest to Burning Man and do ketamine or something. Um, but under supervised uh, conditions, it can be therapeutic in, again, like the EMDR, in remapping the brain. And the brain is affected by trauma, the chemicals in the brain, the neural pathways, the connections, the way things go. Um, you know, it's really complicated, interesting to read about, but it's, it's not just a, an emotional, like, oh, get a grip on your emotions kind of recovery. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's much more than that. And you have to address the trauma that is being held in your body physically, uh, in your brain physically, with chemicals uh, in your brain. <laughs> just, it is um, not just an emotional recovery, like a regular divorce or breakup. You know, when you have been tangled up with a narcissist, a sociopath, or a psychopath, there has been some kind of voodoo hoodoo that they do <laughs> that just really does a number on you. And it messes you up in ways that are so profound and so physical in the physiology part of your body and everything that um, you don't just need therapy. You need an exorcist for the spiritual component. You need an alchemist for the energy part. You need to get to church and get on your knees and get some prayer for some scriptural Christ healing. You need physical touch, massage, you need energetic healing, you need uh, things like, um, you know, possibly even drugs and all kinds of other weird and unusual therapies you've never heard of. You need a whole toolbox full of tools to deal with this shit because it's gonna, you know, I, I can't even tell you. The trauma, the PTSD symptoms, coming out of a relationship with these people and the way that they erase you immediately upon their sudden departure, it is a soul-shattering, transformational experience that some people just do not even survive. So if you're a person who is experiencing PTSD symptoms, um, you would most likely try just about anything, right, that would offer relief. About 50% of people who have tried um, EMDR and things like ketamine and alternative therapies say that they could not have recovered without it. And I've got one more for you. Um, a final more radical alternative could be this um, thing called ayahuasca, which is known as yaji. It is a blend of two plants the ayahuasca uh, vine and a shrub called uh, chakruna. 
And those two together are another hallucinogenic drug, which is dimethyltryptamine. Dimethyltryptamine. DMT. Okay, y'all know it by DMT. You've heard of DMT. It's a common street drug. All these woke people are out there using DMT, trying to uh, raise their vibration level and all of this shit, right? And so DMT, it's, it's, it's out there, but uh, DMT and the ayahuasca are both illegal, but um, many say if it doesn't kill you, it heals you. Um, it's definitely not the path for, path for most people, but I just wanted to put that on your radar. It's crazy stuff. Uh, you have to go to South America, drink it, throw up a whole lot, be disoriented, totally out of control. Man, that sounds like a, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe at some point I'm going to be ready to do that if I can't, like, get through this by myself and the therapies that I'm using. Uh, but that seems a little extreme, right? You know, I, I'm not big for any kind of drugs that cause me to lose control of my faculties to the degree I lose my uh, grounding in reality. You know, I that doesn't sound like a good thing to me. But anyway, for many people it is. Um, and there's always prescription medication too. Let's not forget about that. I know for me, some of my hardest moments, I had to have something to take the edge off and to create the space to effectively address the core issues at the root of the trauma response so I could move towards wellness. Now that's a very profound thing I just said to you guys. Sometimes prescription meds are just what you need to take the edge off, to give you the space to deal with the things, to get to the core and the root of what's going on that you need to heal. I resisted the SRI blockers like Celexa, Lexapro, Prozac, Zoloft, Trintalix, and all that stuff um, that would act as a reuptake inhibitor of the neurotransmitter serotonin, which is often part of the problem that causes distress. Um, but I did choose to take uh, benzo, which is uh, benzodiazepine, known as clonopin, is what I took, clonopin which is also known as clonazepam. Um, it calms the brain. So whenever I had a crippling panic attack, anxiety attack, episode, whatever you want to call them, the kind where I couldn't breathe, my heart was pounding out of my chest, felt like I was going to faint, started sweating, started shaking, shaking like I had like a high fever and rigors and teeth chattering and just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, sometimes I couldn't control that. I couldn't, couldn't get through it, couldn't get a grip on myself. And, and it required um, some clonopin, so some benzos, because they interact with the neurotransmitter, um, which is GABA-A. I'm not even trying to say what that stands for. Gamma-amma-butyric acid or something. Um, many of the symptoms of PS, PS, PTSD manifest as chemical imbalances in the brain, right? And so 
at the early onset of some triggered response uh, that's starting to escalate quickly, a small dose of a benzodiazepine can take effect in eight minutes. Clonopin takes effect in seven to eight minutes. And, it, and so it brings much needed relief to help you get a grip and then get a handle on what's happening uh, so you can function. For me, it helped me to function, to manage my emotions and to remain able to do what I needed to do to work my job. There were days and weeks where the anxiety was so bad, I had to microdose. And that just means I took very small amounts of the clonopid every few hours to bring me up to the place where I could seize control and maneuver through the day. So this may not work for everybody, but that's just an idea I wanna put out there. You use what you have to use to get through, to get, to be able to manage this and to get to where you need to be. It took me months of trial and error to find the right tools to use to address my anxiety and panic, and they're better now. I mean, I'm almost 15 months out, but yeah, I'm better. So if you or a loved one are living in the despair and isolation that comes with CPTSD following abuse by these people, there's just a whole lot of other lifelines you can do. There's even a CPTSD foundation um, that can support you and help you out with all that. Um, these cluster B disordered people take a tremendous toll. I showed you the numbers at the beginning. Um, the aftermath of this experience with these people is long lasting and it infects all the parts of an individual. I call it soul rape. And there's no better description because it's like the pathology of emotional abuse is profound. It causes trauma to be stored in the body. Uh, and the, it causes brain damage, guys. And dysregulated chemicals and neural pathways, psychological landmines, and spiritual annihilation. It is a sickness and evil that the disordered person may not even be aware of that they have it, right? They have this beautiful gift of making themselves believe the most fantastical, magical versions of reality that are nowhere close to what is really happening. They have this magical, wonderful ability to actually convince themselves and they believe their own uh, version of reality in it. and it is not real but they believe it they're not just acting they're not just tricking you they've tricked themselves too because they have brain damage their brains don't work right I don't want to get into that right now but it's definitely you can look at their brains on an MRI or CAT scan and see that they have physical abnormal abnormalities in their brains much of the time so victims are left stranded in this desolate wasteland, a howling wilderness of chaos and suffering. That's how I like to describe it. I think of CPTSD in much the same way as addiction to drugs or alcohol. I don't think you ever get cured or healed. You just learn to manage it and live beside it. You find little pieces of joy and peace and 
and you nourish them and you grow them and you heal from the inside out. And then one day, sometime way down the road, you stop obsessing and ruminating and getting triggered and all of that. And you just don't think of these people for days or weeks at a time. And that is a place that we're all trying to get to, right? So whatever carries us there, well, it's us, up to us to find it. And it's up to us to, um, to use it. So here's to healing to all of you. And I hope that, um, that your journey is successful. Stick with it. It's not going to happen overnight. But it's, it's worth it. We have to do it. What other choice do we have? I hear one of my favorite people say that many times at the end of her broadcast. I'm not trying to take what she says. But, I mean, for this particular message, it's a perfect thing to say. There's nothing else you can do. What is the other choice, you know? You, you have to try to overcome this. And um, so, anyway, it's good to know what's going on. Think about it. Pray about it. Meditate on it, and, and let's get through this, guys. Uh, life is waiting for us on the other side. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 